Hey everybody, welcome to episode 310 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. And I'm excited about today's show because I have another guest. Lead athlete Nell Rojas is joining the show. She was the first American at the last two Boston marathons, also finished top 10 at New York City. And she's racing Boston coming up here in several weeks. And I have her on to talk not only about her story, but also to talk about her recommendations for marathon training and for specifically racing Boston because she is actually a coach as well and has been coaching since she left Northern Arizona University where she went to college. And she actually did that extensively before she burst onto the elite marathoning scene. So her expertise in This episode comes from not only doing it at the highest level herself, but also from coaching it at all levels. And that's why I was particularly excited about this conversation. Before I get to it quickly, I wanted to thank you all as listeners for supporting Kara Goucher and her book. She was just announced as number seven on New York Times bestsellers list after the launch of her book last week. And thanks to all of you for the good feedback I've gotten on my interview and episode with her. But I really appreciate the support that she's gotten. It's been great to see universal acceptance of her story. And I'm just really, really happy for her to have the book recognized in that way. Also wanted to give you a heads up because on next week's episode, I'll be releasing my interview with Desiree Linden about her book coming out called Choosing to Run. So stay tuned for that. And if you haven't already, go pre-order her book as well. And of course, get Kara's if you haven't either. So quickly wanted to give a shout out to those two. And now let's jump into my conversation with Nell Rojas. Here we go. Welcome Nell Rojas to the Running Rogue podcast. Nell, how are you today? I'm pretty good today. Yeah, I had a good um, last long run of uh, the Boston cycle yesterday. So that leaves me doing a little better today than <laughs> than it could be. So good. So we're about what three and a half weeks out. Yep. And I know you've got cherry blossom coming up. Was is that typically your timing for your last long run, or is that because you've got cherry blossom coming up and you're the ten miler and you're trying to balance that a little bit? Yeah, exactly. I typically do it three weeks before. Um, my last like quality long run, but, um, because of cherry blossom, we just put it in the middle of the week instead of the weekend. Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you mind sharing what it looked like? Um, yeah, sure. So, um, it was 22 miles total and it was <clears throat> hill downhill and hilly. So kind of wanted to practice, um, that downhill start. So we did, well, so I'll tell you about the, I guess the intensities first. It was like basically a one mile warm up, trying to sim like marathon warm up, right? Um, and then five miles right into you know we're at altitude, so we did basically like marathon play pace plus forty five to sixty seconds um, for the first five miles, and then we went right into five miles at marathon pace, um, not adjusted for altitude, just at marathon pace. And then five miles plus it ended up being plus about uh, 30 to 45 seconds for that third five miles and then finishing strong five miles at marathon pace. Um, and then we did like a mile cool down super easy. Um, so that was kind of the, you know, we like to get that 
we really like to get at altitude. It's hard to get that high quality marathon pace at the end of a long run. So that's kind of how we do that without like going overboard and going too hard or making it too hard of a workout. Um, but then we also like really wanted to practice that downhill running at the beginning. So kind of like the first five miles was downhill and the middle section was definitely some rolling hills, like some pretty good hills. And then my coach um, wanted me to practice cresting like that last hill um, at Boston and then finishing. So I finished five miles downhill fast. Um, so kind of like a race simulation slash, um, yeah, marathon pace in there. Yeah. I love it. We have our athletes doing their last long runs this weekend and we do a simulator style workout. Fortunately, Austin's well set up for that because we can start people in the Northwest, which is, which is at higher elevation, about 500 feet. And then you run them down towards downtown where the river is and you get the elevation drop. Plus there's some terrain you can find along the way to simulate the Newton Hills. So we've actually got fairly similar workout for our group. Than, than what you did with cool. short warm up straight into pace on a downhill. Yep. And then some hills, you know, marathon effort through hills. And then we've got, uh, we actually finished them this for this one on the track. Okay, cool. I like that. Half marathon pace work at the end. We're not at altitude, so we're, we're finishing yeah. a little faster pace, Yeah. but, uh, but it's interesting. It's always fun to me as a coach to, that's the creative part is you get to have fun with workouts and figure out how can I do something that's going to prepare them mentally for all aspects of the race that's coming. Yeah. So I love, I love that you guys are working and thinking the same way. Yeah. And I think it's really cool to have, um, local athletes. Like I have a group of local athletes, but most of them are remote, but the local ones, I think I really get to dive into more because like I do get to plan their routes and I do understand more like where they are, what they can run on those routes. So I think it's cool that you, you, you are in Austin and you can plan those routes too. So as we jump in and I didn't expect to go right into coaching conversation, but that was fun to, to <laughs> dig into right away. But that, that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about this conversation is because obviously you're an athlete competing at the highest level, top of American at Boston, all of that, but you also are a coach and spent a lot of time before we knew you as Nell Rojas, the marathoner, as Nell Rojas, the coach. So I'm excited to dig into your philosophy there, what you've learned, how you apply that to your own training. Before we get to that, all of that though, I want to first just quickly talk about our connection. We got connected through a mutual friend, chiropractor in Austin, Dr. Moose, who works with you, works with me as well. He connected us. He is a chiropractor by training, but is the most bizarre practitioner at least I've ever seen. And so I just wanted to quickly get your reaction. How did you meet him and what do you think of his methods? Um, so I met him through Jenna, um, Randini. This, yeah, Randini, Molly Grable, who is my training partner is best friends with Jenna. They ran at Oregon together. And, um, so I was having some trouble before New York and so was Molly. So Noah, Dr. Moose flew out and saw Molly and like, I like somehow snuck in there, which was awesome. And I didn't really know what was going on at that point, but I was like, (laughs) okay, what just happened? No idea. Um, But what happened, which was actually turned out like so perfectly was um, I went to Kenya in January 
super, super sick, came back with a bunch of parasites, just like could barely run, like literally just could barely run, was out for a while. And um, we happened to plan um, a training camp in Austin and kind of knowing he was there. And like, we wanted to like, I talked to him before and we wanted to like do some cool stuff and like maybe work with like some breathing stuff and like experiment a little bit. Um, But you know, ended up being like a miracle. And he like completely not only like helped my parasites, but like underlying issues, like just, and his, yeah, his, the way he works, like I buy into it like super quickly. And I think like some people like don't wouldn't buy into what he does because you know he basically has a method where he like asks your body like okay what's going on what do you need and then through what currents you know frequencies and currents he'll tell you um your body will tell him like what it needs um so yeah I loved it it really helped me I was in there super often and um I feel like a new person and the lot, like I I've been back for maybe like four weeks and I still like, I still am like, I wake up and I'm like, I am still getting better from what he's done to me. Yep. Yeah. His me- methods are bizarre and I don't, I think I've had, I actually had him on this podcast a few, a few times. So we've, we've exposed my listeners to that, but always funny to get new people's reactions when they see him the first time, because yes. it is, it's unusual, but you have to go with it because because it works, right? Yeah. One of the things I, I just learned is that he will actually, his body will actually pick up on the things you're feeling and 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 dealing with. And so I remember I was in there recently and, and I was just really feeling fatigued and tired and he was yawning the whole time I was in there. <laughs> and And it came up later, he actually works with my wife as well, that you know, he was feeling a different emotion with her because of something she was dealing with. And then I thought back to that time he saw me and was yawning. I'm like, that was me yeah. <laughs> pushing my fatigue into his body. But anyway, very bizarre, but totally it works. And highly recommend that you find somebody that is a miracle worker with runners in your local area if you don't have one, because you, yeah. you got you got to have it to get through I mean, these hard sessions. Yeah. And and like, I I would honestly like trust my mom on her deathbed with you know (laughs) i'd be like you gotta go see my help cure my mom you know so um and like the way he describes stuff like to me i'm like okay that makes total sense i get this and then like when i go home and describe it to my boyfriend he's like what and i'm like (laughs) i know it sounds crazy crazy. crazy. yeah (laughs) The thing I like about it too, it does seem very woo-woo when you're in it, but, and I know you're more scientifically minded as well, but he can explain the science too, if you get him to go there Exactly. and he's really curious, well-read and goes deep on the science on all this stuff, even if it feels a little Mm woo-woo. And so it's, it's a rare combination in a person to have that. Yeah. And I'm actually going back. I'm flying back right after Cherry Blossom to see him for like four days um, just to make sure like I'm ready to go recovered for um, Boston. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we could talk. I could talk more stories about him, but we'll save that for another day. I do want to get quickly into your story before we kind of talk about some coaching topics. How did you start running? When did it begin for you? Oh, wow. Back. um, Way back. 
Way back. So yeah, my dad ran for Nike in um, the early 80s. Um, Rick Rojas. Rick Rojas. And, um, you know, he, he won. So I'm from Boulder. He won the first Boulder Boulder. And, you know, the Boulder Boulder in Boulder is like the Olympics. It's like, you know, the biggest event. I didn't even know there was other events, you know. So um, and because he won the first one, you know, he beat Frank Shorter and I always knew growing up as a little girl, that was a big deal. And I was, I was like, so proud of him. And I think it just like, um, from when I was little, I was always very athletic and wanted to go far in sports. Like at first it was the WNBA. Like I definitely wanted to be a basketball player and, or a soccer player. Like I was on that, you know, that Mia Hamm bandwagon when the women's soccer team was just like the best thing in the world um i was a huge still are by the way still are by the way still are. oh yeah i mean still are. Huge, huge fan of <laughs> that was like women's national first time i think women's sports in the u.s was just like bomb like the center of attention yep. um so that was cool um and then i really started like you know as a freshman in high school when it when I like really started to like it and become serious about it. Did your dad push it at all or was he letting you discover it on your own? Um, yeah, I was very, very, I'm very lucky to have him as a dad because, you know, he, I didn't even, he coached, he had a, like, he has a youth running group and he's had it forever. I wasn't part of it because like I was playing basketball and soccer and he never pushed it on me. And then, um, yeah, he let my high school coach coach me and I'm sh- I know he had his opinions. Like I know there was like a couple like tension like tiffs um but he really he supported me very very well. The only time he got mad at me was one time when I didn't start a race um because I was like too nervous and that's the only time I remember him like getting mad at me about like anything with running. So what did he say? Um he was just like, you, I, I don't really, I just remember him just being like, you, you have to start the race. Like, why <laughs> didn't you start the race? <laughs> Not acceptable. Ah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's when I started running and, you know, I was serious, but not serious. Like kids are now, like I was serious. Like kids were back then, which is like, I still had a social life, you know, I still, I didn't, I wasn't like on a private club or anything. Um, did you continue to play other sports? Um, I played basketball until all throughout high school. Yeah. Senior year until senior year. Yeah. Um, and then track and cross country. Yeah. Then you went to NAU. When did you know you wanted to run collegiately? Um, since I was like a kid, um, very young, I think. And, you know, when I graduated from high school, I I knew it was the way to go. I wasn't like... I still wasn't 100% committed. Like if you talk to like my NAU coach or um, my teammates, like, no, I was still like half in half out uh, at that point. And I loved it, but I also like wanted to have a fun college experience. Um, and <clears throat> so I walked on um, and my coach told me he thought it was coach Hayes. And he thought he was like, Oh, I didn't think you would, do anything. Like I thought like, yeah, we'll have you walk on fine. But like, um, didn't expect anything out of me. And I actually did very well. Like I was like, you know, one of the 
top three runners on the team basically my whole career. So yeah, conference championships and all of that. Yeah. Making NCA tournament or not tournaments, but meets as well. Yeah. So, but then you didn't pursue it professionally from what I can tell. Oh, no, I never wanted to run again after college. I was like, ugh, you know, I was just like, What, what was that? I was just burnt out. Like, I think being half in, half out is like more stressful than being all in <laughs> or all out. Because like, I think I was just like very prone to like, um, like social things, like my friends, like being like, let's go party. And I wanted to like be cool or whatever. But like in my heart, I think I did want to be all in. I just couldn't do it at the time. I wasn't mature enough um, or ha- like secure enough in myself. But um, so I think I would like, after that, I was just like running shitty because I was not training properly or recovering properly and I didn't feel good. So I didn't want to run. <laughs> so you moved to back to Boulder, right? And you start coaching. I started coaching. I started doing triathlons. What was that part of your journey like? Um, so it was awesome. I mean, I came back. I think my dad, I mean, my dad's always been like my biggest fan. I think he's always seen a lot of potential in me. He's always like loved coaching me. So he's like, I think you'd be really good at triathlons. Do you want to try? I'm like, yeah, sure. And the second I started doing that, which was right after college, I like fell in love and like just wanted, like I wanted to like be the first wheels down um, in the morning. You know, I wanted to like, and I trained really hard and he coached me for that. and it's, I mean, like triathlon is like a whole different ball game. That is, and it, like, I've been talking about it recently because I think it's, it was, it's so good that I had that background because I think it really just like increased my engine and I think it did it. So like permanent changes happened, you know? Um, and I did so much volume and stayed so healthy doing that. But then I also think it messed me up because like, as a runner now, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm barely training. Like, this is like too easy. I have to do more. And I talk to my training partner about this all the time. I'm like, oh, I'm mentally so messed up from triathlons. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, triathlon, you're talking about what? 20 hours a week plus and 30. Yeah. You're 30. Yeah. And then running, it's like 10 to 12, maybe. I'm like, this can't be it. (laughs) But then I'm like, I can't possibly do more. (laughs) How do you reconcile that? Because it is interesting, you know, as a coach and I work with some triathletes, not, not as extensively as you have, but, but how do you reconcile the two that you can perform well running on half the time spent? Mm -hmm. Um, I spend a lot of time (laughs) talking about it and thinking about it. And with try like with Morgan Pearson, who is my training partner's partner, um, you know, he has a running background. He's an Olympian in triathlon and like trying to like be like, okay, like, you know, what are you actually doing? Um, I spend a lot of time like realizing like, okay, well, I have to run fast. You know, I'm not doing an eight hour race. So I have to like, I have to like run less so I can run fast and it can be like super high quality because even though like as a runner, we think of the marathon as a long race, 
um, I come at it with a perspective of like, no, this is like a speed, this is speed work. This is short. Yeah. Yeah. It's short compared to an Ironman. I mean, I've done a half iron and Mm -hmm. like that was a completely different world from, from Mm -hmm. a marathon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I go back and forth. Like I go back and forth between being like, I think I should be cross training and then being like, no, I don't need to cross train, you know? So, um, it's, it's always this, like (laughs) this wave I'm riding. (laughs) Some healthy tension there probably (laughs) (laughs) keeping the balance. Right. But at the same time, you're developing your coaching business. So what drew you to coaching? I mean, I graduated high school and that summer, my dad was immediately like, okay, you're coaching for me. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to coach. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, yeah, you do. You're fine. Go do this, you know? And he would tell me what to do or it'd be like, you're fine. You know what to do, you know? And so I basically like fake it till you make it, you know, kind of like started learning how to interact with people through watching him. Cause like one of the things he's really, really good at is coaching in person really good at. And I think like one of the best that I've, I've like seen, cause you see uh, in Boulder, you see a lot of people coaching in person, right? You see a lot of the the teams, um, being coached. Um, and so like right after high school, um, he basically forced me to coach and I, you know, at first I was just like so nervous to do it and you think, you know, nothing. Um, and then it just kind of like grew from there as a, it was like a natural kind of thing where like, people would ask me to coach. Um, and I'd say yes. And then my business just kept on growing. Um, and yeah. Were you coaching more triathlon or, or or road marathoners? I was doing more triathlon when I was, when I started, cause I was a triathlete and you can just charge so much money. So I was like, yeah, that's great. $500 a month, you know? Um, and, and I was really into it. And obviously like, I, I read a lot about, um, coaching and the, the science of it. I have an exercise science degree, but, um, and then when I started getting it and then I did, I got pushed into doing more strength training for endurance athletes. Um, and that was just basically because like I was, I did a lot of strength myself. I think people kind of saw me as like a strength training endurance athlete. And so they asked for my help. So I opened a gym and I did that for a while for a bunch of groups in Boulder. Um, and I did not like doing that. Like for some reason I love strength training, but I don't like, I I don't like coaching it as much. Um, maybe in the future, but I think, I really think it's like, it's a whole like to be a good running coach, I think I can like spend enough time just like doing that. And I think strength training is like a whole nother thing, you know? Yeah. How have you evolved as a coach since getting forced into it? <laughs> um, oh my gosh. It's <laughs> like completely 180, like a million times. Right. So, um, yeah, now I coach mainly marathoners. I, love it. Um, I coach mainly my favorite people to coach are like, well, my dream is to coach like an elite team. Like I love like the sub elite elite kind of athlete. 
um, who I can be like, instead of like being like, okay, what's your schedule? What's your son's schedule? What's your daughter's schedule? You know, I can be like, okay, here's what we need to do to get better. Um, you know, you need to be in the gym, you need to do this. So that's my favorite athlete to coach. Um, and so like, I, I've kind of skewed my, my, um, coaching more towards like what I am passionate and love to do. Um, and then I've hired coaches to coach, um, the other people. Nice. So you sort of stumbled into this marathon career from what I understand, thinking you wanted to do an Ironman Mm -hmm. distance, knowing you needed to cover the marathon distance at some point to do that. You go run CIM, you run 231 blow the doors off. And then suddenly here we are now it's time to be a marathoner because I'm clearly good at it. Mm-hmm. How was that process for you to accept that? Hey, maybe I'm not the best as a triathlete. I'm better as a road marathoner. I mean, it was hard to quit triathlons because you're in it, you know, it's your life, it's your world. You think it's everything. Um, it's your identity. So it was really hard to, to quit triathlon. Um, but it was always, it was also relieving, um, because I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't have to like go on these monster rides. And, um, so I was, and I love, and like, you know, running's always been my first sport and I've loved it and always done running workouts just for fun. Um, so yeah, I was, it was a good pivot. I was happy about it. (laughs) Yeah. Easy, easy enough. It was an easy pivot. For me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Less than half the time spent and, you know, exactly. more bang for your buck. Exactly. So now you've run obviously Boston twice, top American there, 10th at New York. You're about to run Boston again, obviously in that conversation with a very stacked field for this year's Boston. What's your most, what moment or what event race are you most proud of so far in your career? I don't know. Like I have a hard time having moments. Um, and I think it might be because like, I still want to be so much better than I am. Like I still, like finishing, well, I finished sixth at Boston, but it was really fifth after the winner got caught doping. But I mean, that's, that's, that's obviously huge, you know? Um, but in my mind, I'm like, all right, I got work to do, you know, like I, um, I really want to be faster. <laughs> So what do you dream about? Are you dreaming about the podium or are you dreaming about winning? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm also very like realistic about like where I am, what I can do, you know, what steps I have to make, what that timeline looks like. Um, so, and I, and I, and I do believe that I can get faster and I do believe that I have like, you know, way a lot more PRs in the future. So yeah, I mean, I'd love to make the Olympic team. That's like the number one goal. Um, and then podiuming at a major, but everything has to come together so well, but that's kind of what's on my mind. I love it. 
So how do you reconcile then? You got 10th in 2022, Boston, right? Mm-hmm. Technically 5th and 21 in that October, Boston. Mm-hmm. But you ran almost two minutes faster in 22. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, the weather was perfect basically last year and, and not too bad, but a little warmer in the October 21 race. Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile those two? Faster time, but lower place. How do they sit in your head? Just insane competition. And, you know, I don't know. (laughs) It's just, it's it's really, it's really hard, especially with a lot of um, the Kenyans getting caught for doping. Um, And you, you can't think about that. All you can think about is like, okay, I can control myself and I can do the best I can do. And like, if people get caught in the future, they get caught in the future. But um, yeah, I just, I, I, tr- I try not to like think about really the placement. I'm like, okay, I got faster, um, you know, on kind of an off day. Um, I can get faster and like things kind of go around me as they will. But it's kind of like if you picture like, this is how I also like see my training. Like I get there. I'm like so focused. Teammates are around me, you know, some are complaining, some are like having a good day, some are having a bad day, but like I continue to show up and just like be consistent. Um, And then like, you're like, okay, so like, what's the outcome? (laughs) And you're like, okay, that was the outcome. Okay. You know? Um, So I think it is getting harder and harder to place higher and higher, but I think it's still possible. I mean, everyone's a human, everyone's a human that you're racing against. And that's what, when you start racing against the best athletes in the world, you start to realize like they're beatable, they're human, um, anything can happen. Especially in the marathon at Boston. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I love, I love the message there, which is look, because it applies to anybody control what you can control. Mm -hmm. The outcome will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's hard to get to that place sometimes. And I would imagine even harder in your situation where you've got media, people are asking you questions. What do you think? What place can you get? You know, there everybody has expectations for you. Yeah. And yet you're just trying to run your best on the day. Yeah. And I think, you know, the most important part is that you don't have expectations. Like my expectation is that like I get to the race healthy and I run the best I can and I stay super mentally tough and whatever that gets me, it does. And like, I've learned, you know, from my mistakes and from others' mistakes, like I am not blabbing out to people (laughs) that I am going to podium (laughs) or I am going to be the first American. Like there's (laughs) no way in hell that I will tell anyone that. (laughs) Yeah. Keep expectations appropriate. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And and again, you can't control what other people are doing. And so why put that out to the world? So one of the things in kind of digging into your story that's just interesting to me is the gap, you know, collegiate running, had success there, conference titles, at least from a public perspective, the gap. And then suddenly you show up in CIM run 231 and now you're, you know, top American at Boston. A lot of people will look at that on the outside and say, well, that's strange. What happened in between? Mm-hmm. And I think it's fascinating to hear you talk about the triathlon stuff because you were building a massive foundation aerobically with that. Mm-hmm. I've heard you 
in other interviews talk about the Japanese miles you've put in with your clients, mm-hmm. running easy, easy, easy with clients <laughs> for long, like long periods of the day. Mm-hmm. So speak to what you, you know, both as an athlete, as in a coach and as a coach, the importance of that, that aerobic foundation primarily built at easy aerobic efforts. Um, yeah, I think what happens is people like me and a lot of coaches come from like a running background. Um, and like uh, people that I, my teammates, you know, like the people I'm racing against these people, we have, we started when we were 12, 14, whatever. And we started our foundation at 14. So we're, we are working off of, you know, like, I don't know, 25, no, I'm not that old, 20 years (laughs) of, um, aerobic foundation. Right. So that, to me, like, you can't forget that. Like when I like start a training block, am I doing like six weeks of like just aerobic? No, but that's because like, I have that many years behind me of aerobic foundation. So when you start coaching someone, you have to kind of like be like, okay, well, how long have you been running? You've been running for a year. So you you haven't built that yet. Um, you need to make sure that like you build that. And I have some people be like, this is so boring or like, it seems like you're just like copy pasting. And I'm like, yeah, this is running like (laughs) so long to build that aerobic foundation. And there's ways to like break it up and, you know, put some strides in there or like do a little bit of like, but like, no, it's all about that mundane, easy run that you go out for, even though when you don't watch it, because it's boring every day. How, what is easy for you? When you, when you describe that to a client, what does easy mean? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I usually say like, I usually say conversational pace, um, or I'll give them like an RPE. Um, I, on my scale, I'll show them the scale and I'll be like, it's a three to four and then they'll go like an eight. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm sure, you know, they'll be like, wow, (laughs) I went to like, you know, the, the, the language when they come back from an easy run, you're like, wow, you are not thinking about that correctly. Like <laughs> that should not even be surrounding an easy run, you know, but okay. <laughs> right. But yeah, most people overdo it. And part of that's because intuitively, even though as a coach, I, my intuition is different, but when people are getting yeah. into it, intuitively they're thinking, well, I need to run faster to get faster. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, or we're, our exercise culture is so based on if you're not hurting, then you're just not working. Mm -hmm. So people often push the envelope for those reasons. They think that's the expectation. So when you have that client who's stubborn with it, how do you work them through it? Um, you know, I, I basically will give them zones. Um, and, and their zones aren't like, it's not like I, 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 their zones are like, you know, based on kind of our conversations, their RPE, you know, their heart rate a little bit. Um, and then like what I, and then like slow that down. (laughs) 
make it much slower. <laughs> and then, you know, talking them through it. And, you know, that's one of the first questions that an athlete will ask me. They don't like, I get like three questions immediately when someone, um, I start coaching someone. One's like nutrition. People love nutrition. They want to hear about that. The other is strength training. Cause I think that's why a lot of people come to me. Um, the other is an easy pace. Like what should my easy pace be? Um, and so we go through lengths and some, like, it, it depends what that person responds to, right? Some people will, will respond to like, I need a heart rate zone. Some people need paces. Some people understand like the conversational thing. Some people, if you show them the RPE chart, um, and the people that run too fast, I basically just like beg them to slow down and promise them that like, <laughs> you need to be running easy. And then they kind of like, they're like, oh, that was great. You know, I'm feeling way better. Or they see like their quality workouts improve. Um, and they, there's a lot of times once you start working with them, a flip will switch. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it takes showing them. Sometimes it takes them making a mistake themselves, getting injured oh, because they're doing too much. And then always. like I told you so, now let's yeah. slow it down. <laughs> so, so for you, what is an easy pace run? Oh, well, my teammates make fun of me because like I can't keep up on any of their easy paces. <laughs> so like I run like m probably mostly this cycle is 830s. Love it. Cause I, so that's more, you know, about three minutes slower than marathon pace for reference. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Roughly. Right. If we're, if yeah. we're, uh, rounding. So I love that because, and you know, I'm, I'm not a two twenty five marathoner, but you know, I'm two forty five marathoner. So my paces are a little slower than yours, but you know, I would be probably nine thirty for some easy runs yeah. and, yeah. And yet I'll have athletes that I coach that are maybe three and a half, four hour marathoners that are running faster on their easy yeah. runs than me. And I'm like, like, hold on. So let's, let's compare notes here and see yeah. what's off. And that is a good way to do it. Be yeah. like, you realize you're running as fast as I am. For yeah. your easy pace if runs. Mel Rojas <laughs> at Boston is running 830 for easy runs, then you should probably be going a little slower than that. Exactly. Unless you're a 225 marathoner. So I love that. Do your teammates make fun of you? Yeah, because I can't keep up. And I'm, I'm like, just go. Like, or you could keep up, but you just choose not to, right? Um, yes, I choose not to work hard at all on easy runs. Because <laughs> like working hard I, in a different way. Yeah, I go pretty hard on my quality runs. Like I, I like really like my coach is a big quality person, and so. I need those super easy days. Yeah. 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 I, I did an episode recently on easy running and the importance of it. And one of the reasons is so that you can put more into your quality days. If you go mm -hmm. easier on the easy days, then you can actually get more out of the fast ones. Mm -hmm. And most people maybe don't see that unless they start to embrace it. Mm -hmm. So someone comes to you and they say, I want to be a marathoner. I want to run my best marathon. What do you think the key tenants are to a well-run marathon? Um, having an appropriate goal. Um, so I, you know, I'll ask them a lot about like, okay, what I'll look through their training log, ask them about their history. Um, ask them about like, okay, well, where and when was your last PR? What is your goal? You know, and if it's too big of a jump, 
too soon. Um, I think that is one thing that will just destroy anyone's running career or marathon. Um, and then, um, I think a lot of it is balancing, like a lot of people see what elite runners are doing and they're like, Oh, I want to do that. Or I want to do more. I have to do more, but then they're not recovering. And I think the biggest thing is overtraining and under recovering or training appropriately, but under recovering. Um, and so that's like what I continuously see is like, you cannot run that many miles if you cannot put that much time into recovering. And the better at running I get, the more I understand how important recovery is. And that's why I think I messed my two last marathon cycles up. It was just like, I was way under recovering. Um, so I think, um, making sure it's a good balance between training and recovering, making sure that you are, you're not just redlining the whole marathon cycle, making sure you're coming down a little bit so you can like really, um, use that fitness and stay consistent because most people just like they redline it and then they have to stop because they're either injured or fatigued. And then they have to, they're forced to take, you know, a certain amount of time off. Um, and then what you see is you see the next cycle, you see that come out, like, you will always see what you've done to your body. Like not now necessarily, but like in the next cycle. So to me, I'm like, okay, number one, we're going to look at like your short-term goal, but definitely look at your long-term goal because like, we don't want to mess up anything just to hit this goal you have in the next three months. Um, we have to think about like, over and over and over your consistency because that's what's really going to make you faster. Yeah. I love that. The long-term view is so important. I often say to runners, it doesn't matter what you run in this race. Mm -hmm. Matters is the trajectory you're establishing for your long-term potential. Absolutely. Everybody gets focused on, I want to get this by this time. And I think as a result can sometimes compromise their long-term potential because they're trying to rush it. Absolutely. And that's even more dangerous for someone who happens to have talent as well, mm-hmm. you know, who can sort of rush it. So how do you find that balance for athletes? Um, yeah, once again, I think it's like, you know, once you start working with an athlete and understanding like, okay, like you're either plateauing and you're either working too hard or you're not recovering from these workouts. And like now you're either like going a little bit down, like you're not able to hit the same paces anymore, or you're just like not getting faster. So it's like, you have to convince them to like take downtime and then take, and then like push it a little bit, take downtime and then push a little bit. Um, and kind of like, I've seen myself lately, really like putting notes in people's training peaks and being like, please take this day off. Please understand that this, this week is down because next week we need to bring you up and you need to have quality workouts. Like I can't have, you know? And so just like you're looking at like paces, you're looking at their heart rate, you're looking at their volume, you're looking at their comments and seeing how they respond. If they're like, Oh, I'm so fatigued. You're like, okay, 
red flag, red flag, because yeah, they're going to be fatigued now and have to take a break. But like really the next cycle is when, you know, you're, you're really messing them up for. Yeah. Got to have that balance, you know, and, and people also forget that you actually build fitness while you're recovering. I mean, that's, you know, you do the work to tear yourself down to build it back up. And yes, you need to recover to be able to do more work. Exactly. You're also, but you're also actually building your fitness at that time. And if you're not recovering appropriately, you're not absorbing anything. So speaking of recovery, what are the keys there you think? Um, I really think a lot to do with everything is like people's stress level. And, you know, a lot of people I coach um, have families, they have kids, they have jobs, you know, and you realize really quickly through like their comments or like little things you pick up on where you're like, your body thinks stress is stress, you know, it, so, you know, you're like, okay, you're having a really hard week at work. Like it's not going to help you to push it. Um, So I think just understanding, like trying to keep the stress low. And if you can't backing off training, making sure you sleep very well. I think sleep is one of the most important things, which I don't do ever. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, like little things like that, I think are so, and then picking up on like, if people are fueling well after they run or if they're not, if they're too, not eating enough, you know, that's an important thing, obviously. So I think those three things are the biggest things to kind of like understand about your athlete and how much you can actually push them. Yeah. And then I would add easy movement to that, which we've already kind of covered is getting that easy recovery movement in so that you can create blood flow, which promotes healing so that you can go do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you compare and contrast your training from the training you prescribe obviously the miles are different the paces are different it's your job even though you have a side job as a coach or i don't know how you 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 think about that balance in your head but but it's your job to be a runner and it's not my job or the athletes that you coach necessarily to be a runner so what how would you compare and contrast other than just the total load being different that's a good question yeah, I, I definitely scale back the load, so the quantity and the quality a little bit. Um, and I think I personally, in my training, I'm not like, okay, well, I can't do this, so I, you know, I have to pick one thing a day or something. Like, there has to be corners cut in a lot of my people's training, which ends up being the most effective thing for them because they're not killing themselves trying to do all these different things. Um, so I think in my training, I get to do those like one percenter things because I have my volume already. Like I'm not going to get, I can't run more volume. Um, I think like, you know, that like, I'm not going to tell my, people I coach to do breathing exercises. I'm not going to tell them to do heat training. I'm not going to tell them to do three days a week of plyos, you know? So there's like all these extra things that I get to do that if my clients have more time, they get to run a little bit more. 
because that's what's going to benefit them the most. Right. So I think that's the main thing. Yeah, it's the the levers and the priority you're giving to those levers, essentially. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that's often or mistake that sometimes people make is mm-hmm. that they want to get faster, they want to get better. They see the array of things they can do to get better and they try to do all of them mm-hmm. <laughs> versus picking the ones that are going to give them the best bang for their buck and focusing there. And for some people that might be volume. Some people that might be adding a little more quality. Some of it might be recovering more, slowing down here, picking up there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. obviously going to depend on the person, but understanding the levers to pull is critical. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I want to talk as we wrap about Boston and get your advice on prayer, preparing specifically for Boston. Mm-hmm. I know strength for you is a big part of that eccentric loading, particularly to prepare for the downhills and the quad destructive nature of the Boston course. So when you're training somebody specifically for Boston, what are the elements that you work in? Um, well, I always say like, if you can't master downhill running, or if you don't practice downhill running, you might as well not practice uphill running because it does matter at that point. (laughs) Um, so you know, we start, I usually do 12 week cycles and we'll start doing, you know, like downhill strides pretty shortly into that. We'll work into practicing a lot of downhill running. Everyone's very different because everyone just takes it differently. Like some people like immediately are like, my knees hurt or, you know, this hurts or, you know, they can't do that much downhill running. So you kind of scale it to like what they can do. But like, I like to add like like Boston is such a specific marathon. It's not like you're just training for a marathon. You're training for Boston. So, um, starting early, having once a week, one of those quality workouts is a Boston, um, specific workout. So meaning that's either downhills or uphills, um, or a mixture of both. Um, and just like starting early so that you don't have to overdo it. You know, you might take one, say you do like a race heading into it, you might take that week of like doing no hills, you know, but making sure that like, you know, cause I think the first, the second year I did it, I, I, I was like, oh, I need to add way more downhill and hills. And I overdid it. Cause I just like was in Phoenix and ran up South mountain like every day and <laughs> screamed down it and just destroyed myself. Um, so yeah, just having that plan and making sure you every week you have one thing in there. How do you, how do you tailor that to the individual? Because as you said, downhill mechanics are different for everybody. Personally, I'm someone who, if I do a lot of downhill work because I have bad ankle mobility, then I'll destroy things upstream. And so my mm-hmm. PT is always telling me and Dr. Moose, be very careful about how you use that. And if you're going to do it, come see me right away so we can work you back out before you go again. So how do you balance it for that person who might not respond as well to some of that? Um, yeah, scale it way back. Um, you know, maybe every other week, a downhill session, maybe it's less of a grade. Maybe you're not doing quality on the downhills, but you're just doing easy runs on the downhills. Um, making sure that they are in the weight room. Um, 
because I think that is is very important for Boston is being consistently in the weight room. So let's talk there. What weight room things do you recommend to get ready for the eccentric loading that you face on that course? Well, I've also been through a little bit of back and forth on that. Um, The first year I was like, okay, eccentric loading, you know, that's how you're loading your quads. So practice that. Um, And so we did a lot of that, but my quads were still busted or maybe I overdid it. So then it became this like isometric loading because really it's about your tendons lengthening, but your muscles like having that strong isometric, um, contraction. Um, so then it was about that. (laughs) Um, and I don't have the answer, but I'll know. (laughs) And isometric, just so people know, that's when you're holding position. Mm -hmm. So you, you might be holding a weighted position for extended periods of time instead of doing actual up and down movement. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what do you think? Where do you, I mean, obviously we're all still learning. So where do you land today? I land in a place of being in the weight room consistently doing, um, you know, single leg squats, um, heavy deadlifts. Um, and then like, if you can do plyometrics, if you're healthy enough to do plyometrics, making sure you put the plyometrics in there. Um, and just like making sure you're consistently in there is like what I've landed on. Fair enough. Yeah. So let's talk about tackling the course itself. Obviously, when you're doing it, it's different. You're racing. And yet in the last one, you found yourself alone for a lot of it. So if you were advising somebody who is running in the pack or in the in the main field who might be time trialing, trying to run their fastest Boston, mm-hmm. how do you advise taking on that course? Um, it would honestly be, you know, you you start up that really, that first steep downhill, um, and it's like a one K and it's pretty darn steep, you know? So that's like a no, never mind. You're like, don't (laughs) bust your legs out, please. Like don't start way too fast, but don't like spend all your energy trying to break yourself, you know? So just like be smooth. Hopefully you've practiced a little bit about that hopefully you have enough speed work in where like that leg turnover isn't going to kill you. Um, just get through that easy, you know, you can't even really look at your pace at that point. Cause the GPS is usually a little off. Um, feel smooth. RPE should be low, you know? And then like, I, I honestly would advise it like any other marathon, like start conservatively, please. You know, so how I do it is I'm like, I don't care if it's downhill, like you're going to like, let's see, like, what can you run for a marathon? Like, we're not speeding that up, like minus five seconds for the first 10K at least. See how you feel if from 10K to half or 10K to 20 to the Newton Hills, if you can like maintain your whatever you predict your marathon time to be from 10k to the the 15 mile mark do that and then on the hills my advice on the hills is like you know expect to lose some time on the uphills do not push yourself on the uphills like the last thing you want to do is push yourself too hard and then have to like really slow down or stop so 
you know, try to like find that rhythm, try to focus on your arms, get up the up the uphills and recover on the downhill while you're making up that time. So practice that and practice, really practice that. And then come off that last hill and you have 10K of basically downhill and flat. Um, And so just like try to finish strong, like make sure you started conservatively enough to finish strong. Yeah, I love that. I always say for Newton and for any hill in a marathon is let the hill slow you down. Don't fight it. You know, that is not... You're not going to get your time there. You're not going to win the race, get your time. You're you're going to only potentially destroy your your ability to go chase mm-hmm. at the end. So exactly. let it slow you down, run by effort, get through it. Mm-hmm. And then if you still got something, it's time to go once you get past heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's downhill, like luckily. <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse, because I've been there where... You're like, you know, you're like well, <laughs> it's downhill, but I got nothing left. So, like, you'd almost prefer like a flat or downhill. Like, I wish I had an excuse to be going exactly. this pace because it's yeah. not what I had in my in my head. And yeah, Boston is just such a tricky one to get right. I mean, it's it takes running a beautiful race and being very artful about it to get it right. Yeah, and- you've you've done that well. Somehow that course just like really suits who I am physically and mentally. I don't know why. (laughs) So perfect segue to my last question. Let's talk about the mental side, the mental prep for a race like that. What does it look like for you and how do you advise people to prepare for the marathon in their head? You know, I think if you understand Boston, and you understand that anything could happen on that day and you let go of your ego and you let go of expectations. And during your training cycle, you know, you're, you're thinking of the process and you're like, you know, you're just, you're thinking of like, not only the outcome goals, but the process goals. Um, and you're enjoying it. I think if you get to the start line, you're like, okay, I've done everything I can do. And, um, I'm, I was thinking about this yesterday. I'm really good at compartmentalizing miles. So, and I think it's, it does have to do with the volume I run, you know, like I cap out about 115. So like, I'm like, okay, I have the first 5k easy. We're going to cruise it. I'm focusing on staying really relaxed. I'm focusing on feeling good. If those girls have to go, like, good for them. You know, and that's what I did last year. I was like, oh, yeah, no, they're going. And I'm like, I'm not going. Like, there's no way I can go. Um, And just like listening to your body, running your own race, not worrying about the outside noise of like, what's this person going to think? Or like, oh my God, my, my end time, my end time. Boston is about, Boston. And it's, it really shouldn't be about your end time. I think, especially if it's your first one, like if it's your second one and you want to compare it to the time before, maybe, but guess what? The weather's going to be drastically different. You know? So like, I always tell people like, this is not about the final thing. This is about like feeling strong on the Hills, having a strong finish. Um, 
So, I mean, that's, that's honestly what I do. Like, once again, I cannot control anyone else. Um, but I know it, what I can do to prepare myself. And I know like in the moment, um, you just have to, you know, be okay with whatever happens. Let it go. I mean, I think you said it, you have to let go. You have to let go. You have to let go. And it's so hard to do. And as a coach, I run into this almost every single time I get somebody running their first Boston is they want, they got there and now they want sometime yep. and they yep. have expectations or they want a yep. PR or whatever it may be. And I try to convince them. I'm like, that is the wrong approach. You might still get that, but mm-hmm. in order to get there, you have to actually let go of it. Mm-hmm. You have to let it flow. You have to ride the rhythm of the race because it's going to spit you up or, or, you know, chew you up and spit you out if you're trying to get something specific. Yep. That's just the nature of the beast there. And so it's, but it's so hard to let go of that ego, to let go yep. of those expectations, to let go of what your friends are going to think about your time at Boston. Mm-hmm. So hard. But the people mm-hmm. that can do that are the ones that, that end up having the best races. I totally agree. I so. totally agree. Because if, if they get to the middle of the race and they're not where they're expecting, they're going to just give up, you know? So just enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy, let it flow, let go. So we'll wrap it with that. Thanks so much, Nell. I really appreciate it. This has been an awesome and informative conversation. And obviously we we wish you the best of luck here in three and a half weeks. Thank you so much. Yeah, and it was great to talk to you and great to meet you. And hopefully we can connect more in the future. Would love to. Now, Rojas, everyone, good luck to her in Boston. Thanks to her for jumping on. Thanks to all of you for listening. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.